0: Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace, in case you didn't know. Aaron McIntyre here with me, Todd Erzin, and now you are as well. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, email the program. You can do that, steve at stevedace.com. You can like us on Facebook. MeWe at Steve Dace. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Look for Steve Dace on Gab as well. And then, if you want clips of this show that you can sample and then share with others, go to YouTube.com/SteveDace or Rumble.com/SteveDaceShow. Got a jam-packed show for you coming up on a Thursday. Three non-political questions coming your way at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, Theology Thursday, we'll begin our look at my new book, A Nefarious Carol. Get your copy today over at Amazon.com. Today, we're going to do an overview. A big picture look at the book, why it was written, what sets it apart from its predecessor, a nefarious plot, What are why was it written, why is the tone of this book so dramatically different? Those are some of the themes that we will get into, and then you can follow along with us, get your copy today, and we'll start going through this chapter by chapter next week after we finish the overview coming up next hour. And then our good friend, Congressman Chip Roy, is going to be joining us to talk about a column he recently wrote over at The Federalist about big tech science censorship. We'll get into that and more. A little housekeeping item. You were given a homework assignment last night, Todd. Yes. And being the cruel and vicious taskmaster that I am, your homework assignment was what?
2: To have my family eat ice cream.
1: Eat free, super chunky premium ice cream correct. from our, our new partners over at, uh, at, at Brooker's Founding Flavors, correct? Yes. All and right. And how did it go? how did the assignment go? Well, they were very
2: much like you with another product where well, you said it can't be that good. Right. you said that,
1: right you see, that I've totally overrated Yes, it. I've totally blown it out of proportion. I'm overselling it, right? I yes. didn't expect it to yeah. be,
2: bad. and I'm not a sweets guy, so I'm not really the guy to differentiate so much. um it's it I'm told by five women that this is legit, like the the dark chocolate. Mix with the 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 texture of the black raspberry. It they said it was perfect, and you can't do any better. And it wasn't. It was unanimous.
1: Five See? for five. See, and now it just worked out. That was the one flavor when we got back from Texas. Uh, we got back from Dallas. That was the one flavor that my kids had not opened in the shipment I received, and that's the reason you got that one. But that was probably the most chicky Valentine's Day flavor, sure. right? I mean, something, a decadent dark chocolate of a red fruit, right? Okay. Right. And they give the seal of approval.
2: Well, not only that, you'd be proud of them. They went full day smart and then said, um... Does this need to stop now? Uh, yes,
1: where's the rest? Let's keep this moving. Yes, let's yes. have some more. All right, so there you go. Now now the Erz and women are adding credibility to my claims. You do not have to buy any of that communist ice cream anymore. I've given them enough of my money because now you have an alternative with our friends at Brooker's Founding Flavors. All you've got to do, and they've got great stuff. Hey, you've done the whole thing for Valentine's Day, the predictable flowers, candy. Do this instead. All right, ship nationwide. Click that tab. When you go to the website, Brooker's Ice Cream, B-R-O-O-K-E-R-S, brookersicecream.com, all the flavors there are with uh, Americana, historic, revolutionary, patriotic era, uh, uh, you know, element context to them, and the ice cream is really freaking good, man. I mean, it is really good. Brooker'sicecream.com. Click the Ship Nationwide tab. And now...
3: Without further ado, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What Happened While We Were Away, brought to you by something, 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 Liz Cheney, something, 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 Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't care, and neither do I. So moving on. They're trying to cancel Tom Terrific. Nancy R. Moore of USA Today wrote an op-ed for the paper called Tom Brady has gotten an undeserved pass for his past support of Donald Trump. Essentially, her argument is, if you can even call it that, is that if Tom Brady talks about Trump, it's bad, but now that he's not talking about Trump, it's still bad. In case you were thinking of on Tom Brady or his counterpart at a party for the big game this weekend, Dr. Fauci says you shouldn't do that. As much fun as it is to get together on a big Super Bowl party, now is not the time to do that. CDC Director Rochelle Walensky says the vaccination of teachers is not a prerequisite for safe reopening of schools.
2: Um, But I also want to be clear that there is increasing uh, data to suggest that schools can safely reopen and that that safe reopening does not um, uh, suggest that teachers need to be vaccinated in order to reopen safely.
3: White White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki quickly tried to walk back that claim. sorry, wrong video.
0: I saw the comments of um, Dr. Walensky, uh, but I will say that even she would say, if she were standing here, she's
3: welcome to come anytime, but she's in Atlanta, uh, that they have not released um, their official guidance yet from the CDC on the vaccination of teachers. Before Walensky reiterated last night that she meant what she said.
2: I want to be very clear about what the science shows and what I believe and how we should prioritize. There's accumulating data
0: that suggests that there is not a lot of transmission and that is happening in schools when the proper mitigation measures are taken.
3: In case you're wondering why some businesses who would otherwise not have to enforce those draconian social distancing and mask mandates still do so, look no further than people like Sam Brock, NBC News Miami correspondent who posted a 15-second video clip to Twitter yesterday of a grocery store in Naples, Florida, decrying... How pretty much nobody was wearing a mask. The horror. How dare? I mean, look at those cashiers. This bright, endearing smile as she talks to a customer. Anywho, the video quickly went viral and people had their chance to virtue signal themselves to sleep last night. In completely unrelated news, researcher Ian Miller compared Imperial County, California, one of the first counties to produce a mask mandate last year, to Collier County, Florida, where Naples is located, and found that over the course of the last year, Imperial County fair far, far worse than Collier County and new deaths per one million residents, despite its mask mandate and despite the fact that Imperial County has a far lower median age and population density than Collier County. Moving on and speaking of big lies, you remember a few days ago when Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, through tears, described how she felt her life was threatened during the January 6th events at the Capitol? Turns out she wasn't even at the Capitol at the time. She was in a couple blocks away in her office the board of the currently defunct alternative social media platform parlor has decided to terminate now former ceo john matzy matzy wrote in a statement that over the past few months he'd met resistance to his vision for parlor and how it should be managed parlor co-owner and board member dan bongino fired back saying matzy was not telling the truth in his memo Teenage climate princess Greta Thunberg is facing a criminal conspiracy probe in India after she accidentally tweeted a link to a document which included, get this, instructions for what she should write and tweet about regarding the ongoing farmers' revolt in India. The farmers' revolt stems from the Indian government's new laws deregulating the buying and selling of agricultural goods. John Kerry of the Biden climate envoy defended his use of a private jet to fight global warming.
0: like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh, for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe the time it takes me to
3: get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. And now the ACLU, who yesterday tweeted a series of so-called myths about gender and sexual orientation. They say, quote, fact one, trans girls are girls. Fact two, trans athletes do not have an unfair advantage in sports. Fact three, includes Including Trans athletes will benefit everyone Fact four, trans people Belong on the same teams as other Students. United Nations women tweets: five things we must normalize For men, one, crying, two Sharing the care, three, showing Emotions, four, seeking help Five, sharing feelings China's education ministry is promoting a Campaign aimed at young Chinese men To help them become more masculine The proposal to prevent the feminization Of male adolescents, yes that's what It's called, called on school also, fully reform their offerings on physical education and strengthen their recruitment of teachers. The text advised recruiting retired athletes and people from sporting backgrounds and, quote unquote, vigorously developing particular sports like soccer with a view to cultivating students' masculinity. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has ordered a military wide stand down, pausing regular activities in order to address so called white nationalism and extremism within its ranks. Learning Chinese today, today's phrase is, Chairman Xi called and says, we're winning. And that's what happened while we were away.
1: Aaron's montage brought to you by Home Title Lock. Don't... Don't have to take a crash course in home title theft this year. Pray it never happens to you. It can ruin you financially. Here's how the crime happens. The legal titles to our homes are kept online these days where they can be obtained by hackers. Cyber thieves know this. They find your home's title, forge your signature on a quit claim deed stating you sold your home to them. Take out loans against your home. All that equity is gone. And you often don't know about it until the collection calls pour in. Your rental properties can be vulnerable too. Uh, You're not protected by your homeowner's insurance or... Uh, by your mortgage provider, but thankfully, Home Title Lock can protect you. And in the unlikely event that you do become a victim of home title theft while a member, Home Title Lock pledges to spend up to a quarter of a million dollars out of their own pockets in legal fees, restoring your home's title rightfully to you. So go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and register your address to see if you're already a victim and then use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection while you're there. That's 30 free days of protection when use the code radio at home lock.com. There's a consortium of healthcare providers, physicians, medical centers in Oregon that a few days ago put out a detailed answer to questions their patients have about the efficacy of masks as it relates to a successful mitigation strategy against COVID-19. In the overtime today, we are going to share with you what that consortium of Oregon healthcare providers said to their patients. You want to see this. That's coming up today in the overtime. We tape it right after this show for Blaze TV subscribers and then it gets uploaded later in the day that you can watch on demand at blazetv.com slash dace. That's also where you can go if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber. BlazeTV.com slash dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. Go there today. Get a discounted subscription to Blaze TV so you don't miss that overtime and everything else exclusively that we do each day at Blaze TV so that you don't wake up one day. Oh, you know, I get the podcast, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I watch it on YouTube, uh, you know, on delay, blah, 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 blah. You get up one day and we're not there. Epoch Times, that uh, uh, anti-Shycom outlet from the uh, Far East that has been uh, really uh, growing its platform here in the U.S. In, in the last couple of years, got up one day just to couple of days ago and found out they're demonetized on YouTube that can happen to us at any point us the entire blaze TV network so to make sure you don't miss out get it directly from us at a discount at blaze tv.com slash days all right let's get to the uh, the montage and 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 wow there's a lot in there um, to get to today uh, I, if I understand John Kerry's position uh, he is he is suspending climate alarmism principles in order to defend against or defend and promote climate alarmism correct at best is that is that his position at best they, they also don't offer uh commercial flights he, he just can't jump on a commercial flight with everybody else
2: He's basically Fauci at the ballgame with his mask around his chin. That's what he really
1: is. How about Greta Thunberg? How dare you be outed as nothing but a fountainhead, uh, spoon-fed fountainhead for leftist agate prop? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you were shocked to learn that news today. Anyone? the only people not raising their hands have iqs below 9.3 which means they don't have full motor function and therefore their synapses cannot make their hands raise everyone else knew everyone else knew all along shocking won't change anything though but no it won't it won't change anything you know what though i think we have to you know if at first you don't succeed it's one of my radio mentors taught me if at first you don't succeed Lower your standards. If you just give up the notion that you're going to ever win the culture war and just decide, you know what, I'm just going to settle for, I know that you know, and you know that I know that you're full of runny poop. You know what I'm saying? If you just settle for that, if you just realize we're Western civilization's toast, we lost, it will not return. And you're presiding over an Edmund Gibbons book. If you just if you just, you know, go Doctor Strange Love and just learn to relax and love the end of Western Civ. You know what I'm saying? And if you just give up the ghost on that and lower your lower your standards to, you know what, on the way out, I'm just gonna get proven right about everything. These are actually some pretty good times right now. These are some pretty heady times. I mean I'm enjoying myself. If if indeed you come to grips with the fact our way of life is over to never return, then, and just enjoy being proven right, then, you know, party on, Garth. I mean, these are the days for you, right? You described most of my 12 years
2: at the register and the conversations I have with them now, six years after being gone. Yeah. All have a nice told you flavor yeah, to them I mean, that the, I enjoy. I, I
1: knew the newsroom was gone. You knew the newsroom yes. was gone, but you knew I was right. And I knew I was right. And now we both acknowledge I was right. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Greta Thunberg is nothing but a a fountainhead for left-wing agate prop. That shocks absolutely nobody. Um, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Smollett, um is, is completely just another drama queen from her generation just dying for any form of legitimacy t- and just latches on to fanciful tales it, it, she's not unique in her generation right no. social media has made this legion she's not unique in her generation she just happens to be one of the few that holds a seat in congress right yes. okay but it it's not unique Uh, If uh, America's high schools and colleges and um, millennial populations are legion of multitudes of people who just claim things and glom on to things to get some form of meaning that they were never actually a part of.
3: Aaron, am am I wrong? No, no, you're you're not wrong at all. I mean, that's it's it's par for the course. It's it's posting something, just putting something out there that's totally bombastic on Twitter or or just, just dripping and oozing losing for attention that apparently you never got or you feel like you never got enough of. I mean, it's it's rampant yes. in my generation. Yep. I think it's important noting as well, why are we talking about this now? Why are we talking about that video that she put out on Instagram? Because she claimed that Ted Cruz directly threatened her life, yes. tried to have her murdered. Yes. That, yep. That's why that's why she made that video. Yes. And now we find out she <laughs> and, didn't even do it well.
2: And speaking of the I know that you know, now she's clapping back at Facebook
1: and Twitter that they're yep. supposed to be censoring the people Yes, that are calling her out. Yes, It's beautiful. It's it's even worse than attention. So, you know, we didn't have social media but when we were at you guys' age. You know, we had the information superhighway, email computers, um, chat rooms. We did, that was the first, you know, our for our, the Gen X generation, we wanted attention. What's happened is in your generation, unfortunately, it has devolved into affirmation. That's what makes this so addicting is that it the the affirmation you receive oh yeah wow yeah i mean you wow what a victim that's intoxicating is that level of affirmation and i think that's what that level of idolatry is just it, you cannot pierce it with logic you won't that that's a that's a spirit of the age that's why it's revival or bust right yes i, I mean you won't and, and the affir- and, and the fact that you receive affirmation that way just incentivizes to continue doing it and to keep doing it and to keep going, right? Especially when you don't have to practice any self-awareness at all. Was it yesterday or the day before was the one-year anniversary of the statement Kamala Harris put out on Jesse Smollett? Yeah, but of course I believe him and, you know, this is terrible what happened to him, right? I mean, dude, what, what penalty did she pay?
3: She's probably president of the United States right now. Never. No. Ever. Ever, ever. Abandon their base. That's their base. Never, never, ever do that. Meanwhile, we're over here pondering the lint in our navels about what uh, the finer points of the conspiracy theories Marjorie Taylor Greene believes in and whether or not we should actually have a secret vote, you know, to take her off the committees and stuff. It
1: is fascinating to watch them try to do to us with Marjorie Taylor Greene what a bunch of us in our industry tried to do to them right after the 2018 midterms with Ocasio-Cortez, right? I mean, that was the game. We were playing it. Clearly, the game was to label the new Democrat majority, and she was the face of it, right? That was the game. okay. the open, honest, young leftist uh, socialist that she's the Democratic Party now. And they're attempting to do that, too, you know, with um, QAnon and conspiracy theories and things of that nature. It is fast. It's even fascinating to see the differences the two sides have in. And how they're trying to brand the other with these sort of renegade, you know, fresh woman Congress or freshman Congresswomen. Okay, Um, the right went about doing this with Ocasio, except for the stupid dance video, which actually made her look, you know, likable. Except for that, this has all been based on ideology, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's largely been based off of trying to trying to transpose things like her Green New Deal upon the entire Democratic Party. With with the with the with the with the Marjorie Taylor Green thing, it appears to be largely based off of, instead of ideology, information sources. Right? That you guys are the party of QAnon and things of that nature, right? Yeah. I don't I don't know what that means. I'm not necessarily saying one's better than the other. I just find the difference is fascinating oh. is is oh. is is the attempt to label the, the Republican Party under the banner of Marjorie Taylor Greene as the as the comeback for us doing with, the, with doing it with AOC is largely based off of information sources that she follows more so than her beliefs, at least as far as I can tell. I don't know.
2: Well, the other fundamental difference is that whereas with AOC, there was, there's a legitimate fear of where her ideology was going and now we have a nearly 80 year old man president with dementia ratifying by executive fiat nearly everything she believes in uh, do you have any concerns about ditch Burma tweet McConnell in, endorsing or ratifying anything Marjorie Taylor says no 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 or any president how, how
1: about what, what do you dude forget Marjorie Taylor grain anything Rand Paul says yeah, you know what I'm saying? He, anything Ted Cruz says. Yes. Anything Chip Roy, who's going to be on our show next hour says. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Forget my Marjorie point. Taylor Green. How about those guys? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we're not playing the Marjorie Taylor Green game. I, I, I've not even looked at what she has said. I don't care. I don't have to care. I don't care about the Republican Party. It doesn't care about me. I don't feel the need to defend its honor. It doesn't defend mine. Um, it's purely transactional for me. That's the, they're the only thing standing between me and Democrats. Other than that, I don't care. I don't care. She's not in my district. I don't have to care. I don't have to vote for her. I don't care. I don't know. The whole thing is a game. The whole thing is, is, is the game that you just articulated so that we're not talking about real things. And there, there, there literally is nothing that's been proven there is there is there is no red herring the democrats or the media but i repeat myself could dangle out there that we would just not dutifully once the zipper is rattled answer the beck and call there there just isn't there's 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 nothing that they could throw out there that we would not feel the need to discuss pursue we just as an industry outlet um Alternative outlet, I should say, to the left media uh, as, as, an ind- as an industry, as a movement, we just seem—I don't even think it's incapable. I don't think we. I don't think we it's want just to.
3: The way things have been yeah, done, we
1: just don't want to have a, our own narrative to promote. We just don't. We just kind of just want to troll theirs. So okay, I mean, and and we've got some great trolls. Well, I'm a pretty good troll myself, but in the end. Whose narrative is getting is dominating the mind share of the American people? It's theirs. We're never really offering our own alternative vision. We don't, don't seem, and we just don't seem to care to. So, okay, what well, else, man? Pour one out for the USFA. Um, I've got to mention this, though, because this is something I've talked about on the show before. And I got to say, I, I'm pleasantly surprised at the new CDC director. We were joking around off the air yesterday when she said she doesn't think it's required for teachers to be vaccinated to go teach, to feel safe to teach in schools. And we were joking around when she said that off the air yesterday. So uh, how much longer, did it, how, much, how much time before that gets walked back once, uh, once uh, you know, AFT or NEA makes a call to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, right? Right. Because how many times did we see this last year? massive studies about long-term immunity that reinforced the laws of biology. Oh, well, uh, no, 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 well that's not uh, proven. Uh, it's a peer-reviewed paper. Well, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, not yeah, we, it's not. We don't know yet that yet. Yeah, I mean, you could get uh, COVID 17 times. We don't know, right? How many times did we see this last year? All the time. All the time. Don't wear a mask. Uh, well, uh, uh, yeah, they don't work. Uh, yeah, well, we're wrong. Uh, uh, I'm sorry about that. No, remember, when, remember when the WHO said last summer, asymptomatic spread's not a thing, guys. Remember this? Yes. And then they ended up walking it back by the end of the day because of the political blowback. Correct? Yeah, well, she's not really saying much different than Scott Atlas said like
2: three I, or four yes, months that's ago. That's exactly
1: right. What has changed? What's changed? I, I, was, I didn't know she did that until you played the montage. I was shocked to watch her, and of all shows. I mean, Rachel Maddow is there as the left's Tucker Carlson right now. She's by far the number one show for the left in cable news. She's the number two show. Her and Tucker go back and forth every night on what the number one show in cable news is. For that, So it's not even just like a counter press release reasserting this to go over the top rope on Rachel Maddow's show and drop and do the Hulk Hogan leg drop on Jen, P- P- is it Pisaki? Pisaki, thank I you. Think, yeah. The White House spokeswoman in the same news cycle is a flex, bro. That is a flex by the new CDC director. And you know why? Who's not in the White House, guys? Orange Man. Orange Man's not there. I've been talking about this since we came back from break. The politics of this have changed because he's not there, but it's not, necess- it's not just the low-lying fruit. Well, you know, now they want to reopen the country and everything, because it- that's all true, but, it's, but it's, it's not sufficient. It's more complicated than that. There are deep divisions of belief and then, on claims and mantles of authority on their side too, they're very divided on their side too. It's just they won't—they don't have a media that seeks to exploit that because they—they don't have a media that essentially views it as their job to keep the Ocasio-Cortez wing of the party at bay. That's what happens on our side. That's what Newsmax stumbled into yesterday. That's what Fox does almost every day, right? There, there is a notion. There's a notion, and we could just, I could just name your names, do a whole show where I just name your names. And these people believe their job is to adult you. That they have to hold you back. That's their job. That doesn't exist in their media. And so, because of that, we have operated on our side under the premise that they're just some unified Leviathan. And I'm just telling you is a guy that has done dozens of TV appearances on their side. It's not true. It's not true. And that was largely swept under the rug the last four years because they were all united in Orange Man Bad, right? Take him away now, though. And because what you see there is the CDC director is saying, I am the science. I am the science. Not that the teacher unions want to claim, I am the science. The CDC director is saying, no, I'm Palpatine here. I am the science here. And as a flex, I come off the top rope on you, on Rachel Maddow and the White House tonight. I like them apples. That doesn't happen last year. Because they're all united in Orange Man Bad. You're going to see more and more of this. And I'm going to keep pointing it out to you when we do. Because if you're looking for a tactical advantage, it's exploiting those divisions. It's the oldest strategy in the book, right? Divide and conquer. These divisions are now out in the open if we have ears to hear and just pay attention. And the longer we go in having some centralized figure that is like our proxy, that they can all then just fashion their disdain and hate towards the more the longer and longer you're going to see these sorts of divisions become fractures that's big time news what happened there in that clip big time that, that was a message sent to the White House and the teacher unions and it'll be fascinating to see now how they respond because now they're going to fight each other in a turf war Not the Orange Man Bad War. More in a moment. It was Built Bar time during the commercial break. It is, it's the best protein bar you're ever going to have. It's better than several of the candy bars that are out there right now. It tastes like one, has the texture of one. It it, it gives you the option of not having to choose between health and taste because it tastes like a candy bar, but then it's not made up like one. Up to 20 grams of protein in every bar, three to five grams of carbs, sugar in every bar. That's it. 180 calories or less in every bar. That's it. All right. And it's got over well into the 20s now in different flavors, all of them covered in real chocolate, including their brand new flavor, which I have yet to be able to try. If anybody's listening, but I keep hearing from the audience about how great the chocolate chip cookie dough flavor is. I would like to know. Thank you. But I do like all the other flavors that I have been permitted to try of Built Bar. And you can try them now, too. And maybe you you, you took advantage of it when we first started talking about it and you want to come back for seconds. Well, now you can get 20% off not just your first, but your next order. 20% off your next order and if you haven't done it yet, it's your first order you can take 20% off of that too when you use my name, Dace, as your promo code that's D-E-A-C-E my my promo code for your discount at builtbar.com caramel brownie, cookies and cream, coconut almond uh, peanut butter, mint brownie I've I've still got all the seasonal flavors I had the pumpkin chocolate chip cookie here during the break alright, builtbar.com B-U-I-L-T BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Dace. Get twenty percent off today. It's time for three non-political questions.
3: Hopefully good questions, because we need a break from the demise and fall of Western civilization and Alexandria Ocasio-Smollett. Question number one, what's one experience in your life that they could make not just a movie, not just a good movie, but a great movie about? wow. Uh,
1: Are these now three self-serving questions? Yeah. Wow. Todd, you go first, man.
2: That's actually... Pretty easy for me. It's working for the register and getting arrested. It'd be it'd be solid because you'd get it it would be a
1: great No, you, you didn't get arrested for working. Or well, because you were working at the register, right? correct? Okay, you, you, r- remind the audience figured, what you got arrested for again. This
2: has been out there. I mean, after six years, we talked it about enough. It was during the floods of two thousand eight uh, when I was uh, falsely arrested, and then to cover up that false arrest and the fact that I was assaulted in the back of a police car, they made up false charges uh, against me. Uh, and, but the register also hated me. Uh, so they very much threw me under the bus, and was, like they wouldn't defend you. They, uh, in fact, they told you to plead out, right? Oh, oh yeah, they yeah. absolutely plead guilty for to it, something so. you didn't do. But it would be a fantastic um, lens, multiple levels into uh, both uh, the police, uh, certainly into uh, the register and how they do business there. Uh, it, it, it would be solid.
1: I got to say, for a guy who's not rich, I'm not. I've actually lived, when I stop and think about this question, I've, I've lived a pretty interesting life. Oh, yeah. At some of the things I've been exposed to or interacted with. I mean, I've the story even of just my own um, conception, which I've talked about before. But since you went register, I'll, I'll go off the grid. How I got started in media is um, I, I was I had a gambling debt that I couldn't pay back home in Michigan. And so I ran away so I, I wouldn't get like um, seriously injured because um, it was that kind of a gambling debt. Um, and I ran away to live here with my grandmother. College dropout, had nothing going on, nothing, right? Um, she lived with my aunt who was a, who was like the telemarketing manager at the register when they still did subscription phone sales and told me who the sports editor was. It was a guy named Dave Whitkey and uh, I went to. I called him up one day and said, "You don't know me at all, but I, I grew up watching or reading Mitch Album as a kid growing up in Michigan. He got started in sports in, in sports media by volunteering at his local newspaper. I will volunteer. I mean, I I will be a, a, a glorified intern. I just want to learn the ropes. I've got a few months here to live rent free with my grandma to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. You know, I've kind of I've, I went from most likely to succeed in high school to. Uh, Loserville. So I'm, I'm trying to do a reboot. Dave, Wiki actually invites me down on this call. Do you know
2: how, right. just for their context, do you know how lucky you were that it was Dave Whitkey yes. on the end of that? Like, he, he is he's truly yeah. one of the gentlemen yeah, he was. Yeah. I ever one met at One of the last yes. real
1: journalists that worked at a place, at a newspaper like that. Yeah. So he, I don't know what I said that triggered him. Okay. But he invited me to come down for an interview. I'd done a little bit of freelance writing in college. I showed him some samples. So I had some command of the language. And he, they gave me a job for minimum wage. As a part-time news assistant, I worked there at night. I worked across the street in the mailroom at Blue Cross Blue Shield during the day. And uh, I would just, after my shift, go across the street, you know, grab something for dinner and then go work at the, on the desk. And I I was really spoiled and thought I, I, I when I said I was going to work for nothing, I just thought it was a sales pitch. I didn't think they were going to like really take me up on it. And months and months and months went by and I was a gopher and didn't get any writing assignments or anything. I nearly got in a fight the first night with the, the copy editor named Tony something. He was just a total douche and I let him know about it. Um, it probably shocks nobody. But uh, finally, after a few months, I had pestered them enough to give me a writing assignment and they the, the deputy sports editor, uh, Larry Lamer, uh, asked me to another good guy asked me to do a story a, 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 a an analysis of track and field athletic performance comparing Iowa to our bordering states all right and i i literally looked at him and i said dude where i come from the only thing worse than track is field okay and i didn't do it and I was going to get canned. Uh, I, I, it was my Saturday to come in and prepare the, the desk to put out the old big peach, if you remember that, the famous Des Moines Register peach colored sports section. They were still doing it back then. So it was my Saturday as a new to come in and prep the desk to get ready to come in later the day that day and begin doing the big peach. And the plan was to actually fire me that day. Except that morning... Um, I had, uh, my buddies and I had gone out partying the night before. They were all hungover. I was not. So I drew the short straw to get up that morning and drive to Hardee's and get everybody breakfast. On the way back, I'm not wearing a seatbelt, a foreign exchange student. This is all a true story. A foreign exchange student (laughs) broadsides my car. And I mean, my head went into the windshield. I got treated. I got taken away in an ambulance for a concussion, everything else. I mean, it I was knocked out. I don't remember much of it. And, uh, uh, but I ended up getting discharged after about a day of observation. Um, and that event, man, kind of woke me up a little bit that I am a complete and total loser. Like I didn't have any like faith conversion. It was just kind of a personal epiphany. Like I am a waste of of space let alone potential so I went back to the register I've got a neck brace and everything and those liberals of the paper they just didn't have the heart to fire me when they saw that and they told me it was months later that they told me they were going to can me and they just couldn't bring themselves to do it when I came back to work with a neck brace but I mean I, I then became like the best news assistant they've like ever had man I like stayed after like I did everything okay I mean I, I mean I swabbed every poop deck I was asked for months but I, but I could not get another writing assignment this you my, don't I, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so by this point, my wife I've I've met the woman who would then become my wife. We were talking about getting serious and I need and and I've worked my way up, you know, from like um uh mailroom clerk to like a claims department clerk at Blue Cross. Right. So I went from grade two, which is the lowest paid there, to grade three. So I got to figure out if I'm going to be a stiff at Blue Cross for the rest of my life or uh, if I've got a future in media. So I called up Mason City High School. They had the number one team in the state at the time. Uh, they had a point guard named Dean Oliver who went on to start at the University of Iowa. Because they were outside the metro, though, we had not done any stories on them. So I called up J- Jeff Horner's dad, another former Iowa point guard, Bob Horner. Told him uh, I was dishonest, told him I was a reporter for the Register, brand new guy assigned to do this story, interviewed him, the team, the players, wrote this big long feature on Basin City High School's number one team, didn't tell anybody about it, and then on Saturday night, I waited for everybody to leave, and I was the last guy to stay, and when they all left, I filed my story for the next day like it was assigned to me, and then I went home and said, let's see what happens. I am at my job at Blue Cross Monday morning. Larry Lamer calls me up and says, you will get your ass over here right after you get off of work. No way you're getting away with what you just pulled. So I'm like looking at the clock the rest of the day thinking this is the end of my media career. Um, we get over there and, and Larry is rightfully destroying me. I mean, I violated every protocol doing this. And, I, and this goes on for a couple of minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what is the one liner that I'm going to let off here? And then walk out so I can, like, when I'm, you know, one of these guys down here on Court Avenue after at five o'clock after working at Blue Cross all day, I, I can tell this story when I'm 40. That's what I'm thinking of myself. Like Judd Nelson at the end of Breakfast Club? That's a great analogy. Yes. Yeah, like that. <laughs> and so I'm trying to come up with, like, what my parting shot's going to be. And then Lamer looks at me and says, but your story is really good and we're going to run it on the front page of the paper tonight. And that was the first gift my wife ever gave me was a matted, framed copy of that story that ran on the front page of the Des Moines Register sports section. And that's how I got started
3: in media. (laughs) That is a great story. (laughs) That whole thing. I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that up. I really don't. Uh, I, I went
1: so, on too long. I'm sorry about that. You can no. ask a guy to talk about himself, though, and <laughs> ladies will tell you this is what happens. No,
3: yeah. that was a legitimately good story. I, I don't know how I'm going to follow that up, so I'm not. Uh, what's one mistake you made, non-meta, so not not spiritual, not huge, one mistake you made of just adulting that you would like to rectify or at least pass on some advice about?
1: I'll just go back. I could come up with a, a bunch of... You know, uh, uh, my motto is just try not to make the same mistake twice. OK, but I've made a bunch of mistakes the first time. I'll just go back to the story I just told and close the loop on it. When I I I've re- I really regret that one of my best friends from high school was my go between with this bookie. And I was always I, I wish I would have told him up front that I'm bailing and just and not stuck him with it. And I, and I mean, I've felt and it, we, I mean, we have it ruined our relationship and I can't blame him at all. Um, but years later, uh, after I'd had a faith conversion, I mean, I really, really felt convicted about this. And so I went back to him, I tracked him down, went back to him and, um, got his ad, got his address from him and paid him back all of that money, assuming, cause he would be on the hook for it. But with like, you know, like a credit card level of interest rate for how many years had gone by, um, to make up for it. Uh, and so. The 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 lesson I learned from there is you you don't ever 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 no matter what you don't bail on your friends you don't pass your responsibilities you you don't shift your blame your costs onto other people you own own your poop you own it I wish that I'd never done that
2: yeah uh, take the win and um, always leave something for a rainy day once when i was uh, umpiring and i uh i was was somebody who was overseeing me totally railroaded me on something didn't have my back I, I went to their sort of supervisor to deal with it and it was dealt with and this this person was dealt with and was embarrassed and wasn't but publicly in front of a large group of people I, instead of just accepting his apology and using it as collateral for down the road, I right there, and I was in my early 20s, I right there tried to turn the screws on him. And mm-hmm. it also right there, then just boomeranged right back on me from the supervisor who fixed the thing. So you have to, you have to have the long view. With wins like and, and this is it, it it's for what we do in politics it's what you do when you have to be aggressive and school board meetings and things like that you've got to be it's like chess you've got to be able to see five steps ahead and it can't always be about the emotional indulgence of a given moment you've got to discipline yourself that way
3: yeah i think i i think for me and of course because you know i'm a male uh, i have I have, uh, everybody has a little bit of an ego, but especially starting out... Uh, starting out, there were a couple of supervisors and people in authority over me at my previous, at my first kind of gig in media gave me a lot of, a lot of grace and were very, very gracious with me. But, uh, just understand, go in with the mindset. What would, what did you just say? If at first you don't succeed, lower your standards, standards. uh, lower your, yeah, lower your, (laughs) lower your standards for how you're going to be, um, uh, how 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 you think you are viewed in other words just be humble just just have a little bit of humility especially uh, especially right out of the gate in a, in a professional career question three what's your guilty pleasure in music and if you don't have a guilty pleasure what kind of music do you listen to that would surprise people
1: you know I'll just tell you I'm a I'm a huge classic rock guy I love um, late 80s to, to mid 90s country Um Maybe it would be old school rap. I mean, I used to, I had a very eclectic taste, but I mean, I would come home and watch the old easy Ed Lover, Yo MTV raps from school and, you know, in the late eighties back in the days of like Big Daddy Kane, Redhead Kingpin, uh, Eric B and Rakim, um, you know, guys like that all the time, you know, um, I love like, um, um, movie soundtrack, not show tunes. Movie soundtracks. Want to clarify that? There's it. There is a distinction, okay? Um, but I don't know you guys. So I'll let you guys all decide if those are guilty pleasures or, you know, when Noah was little, we used to play the Lego DC uh, Superheroes game. If you played Superman and took off flying, the John Williams Superman score would would go. I would just sit there while he played the game normal on my half of the screen, and just like f- for like hours, just fly around as Superman so I could hear the John Williams score. All right, so you can all decide which of those is a guilty pleasure or a surprise to you. You know, through my daughters,
2: you mentioned 80s and 90s country. The current country that's out there, it's so... Innocent by what's going on in today's standards. It's just talking about guys chasing girls and girls chasing guys and good old boys and try. I mean, that's always been trucks and beer. I mean, my goodness, it may as well be the All Catholic right. Thank you, Blake Church. Blake Shelton. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's just dogs. It's beautiful.
3: Yeah, I've been listening to Southern gospel recently. Stuff is pretty good. Like who? A
1: gaither. Oh, like dude. Now that that is. That's a Southern gospel as it gets right there. You bet. All right, we'll come back. Hour two is next. with Hour 2 live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre and all of you let us know what you think about what we think look for my name Steve Dace on Facebook on MeWe on Gab uh, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample with others and then share as well, uh, go to youtube.com slash Steve or rumble.com slash Steve Show. We'll Beginning to my new book for Theology Thursday here in just a moment. But also, if you're a podcast listener, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Please show your appreciation for us, however, by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice, leaving us a five-star review if you've yet to do these things. Thanks to all of you that have done them already. It helps the show to grow. Please keep those coming. We greatly appreciate that, as do the powers that be, both at Skynet and also here. Uh, at the blaze coming up at the bottom of the hour, um, Congressman Chip Roy will be here talking about the battle of big tech censorship. And I'm going to also ask Chip, um, why aren't we writing checks for 1.4 million? Right. Why, why is it just $1,400? If we can just print money like this and it, it has no side effects. It, it doesn't have, um, any blowback whatsoever and, and we want to take care of people in their time of need. Why are we stopping at $1,400? Why don't we send $1.4 million to everybody? And or why just a one-timer? Why not the universal
2: basic income I, now? I,
1: I agree. We'll get into that conversation coming up uh, next hour with Congressman Chip Roy from Texas. Theology Thursday brought to you by Annie's Kit Clubs. We all know the detrimental impact of too much screen time for the kids, whether it's the content, frankly, they're exposed to online. But beyond that, it's the shortening of the attention span, the loss in creativity. We need better ways for our children and grandchildren to use their downtime i'll give you an example this happened just in my house last night so noah is beginning to develop some of the some of his old man's ability for command of the language framing a story a narrative he's he's a natural at it come after dinner last night he starts telling me like all these uh creative ideas he has i'm like these are tremendous then i looked at him and i said you need to write them down, which, you know, in the 21st century doesn't necessarily mean a pen and a paper. It could just mean type them out somewhere, right? But that almost seemed like foreign to him because he's from a a different era where taking time out to do that stuff, I'm like, hey, dude, you know, oral tradition ended about uh, 1,700 years ago. People expect something. Written now, you know, but that's just part of what what we're talking about here. The side effects of just how creativity can be stifled because I'm like, you're going to forget these ideas. Write them down. That's why every now and then you want to go old school with somebody like Annie's Kit Clubs and yes they are gender normative as well. The Young Woodworkers Kit Club for the boys is a monthly subscription that puts real tools into your child's hands starting with a great kid sized hammer Hammer, and every month your child's going to receive an all-in-one woodworking kit with the materials and the tools needed to make an awesome woodworking project with minimal supervision. Then for the, the young ladies there's the Creative Girls Club which sends two fun craft projects every Every month, complete with easy-to-follow instructions. So, help your kids to develop actual skills, master real-world building or new crafting techniques, while also uh, expressing, manifesting their creativity. Makes a great gift for the kids or the grandkids. Go to Annie's A N N I E. S Annie's Kit Clubs.com slash Steve and get 75% off your first shipment, practically giving it away at that price. Annie's Kit Clubs.com slash Steve, 75% off at Annie's Kit Clubs.com slash Steve. Theology Thursday, we go, where uh, we just finished a week ago, uh, A Nefarious Plot, my 2016 book that we are uh, f- working on the script of the film adaptation as we speak right now. We're now going to segue to the sequel book that is out now, A Nefarious Carol. Get your copy, if you'd like, at Amazon.com. You can follow along with us. You can get autographed copies via Premier Collectibles. The link for that is uh, pinned both to the top of my Twitter account, at Steve Dace Show, or at Steve Dace on Facebook. It's pinned there. If you want to bypass Amazon and, and get autographed copies from Premier Collectibles, you can go that route as well. But we're going to be going through the sequel book, so get your copy. If you've had a chance to read it, I've heard from so many of you, please leave a five-star review uh, over at Amazon to show how much you liked the book. But I thought before we went through every chapter, we should sort of set the stage for this book, because it's, it's vastly different in terms of format, tone, style, style. Um, it's it, it's dramatically different from its predecessor, a nefarious plot. So, this week we're going to get into kind of the overall meta narratives behind a nefarious Carol.
2: Well, I think we 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 joke oftentimes on the show about uh, epistemology,
1: which is basically a fancy word for how do we know what we know is true? Yeah.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. I used the wrong. <laughs> I know, the end times. Right? Oh, eschatology. Eschatology. I'm, okay. I just threw out the we, wrong Because
1: we, 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 we do both yes. of those actually yes. a lot now, apparently.
2: About eschatology, excuse me, <laughs> I'm glad you... Uh, and I think an unintended uh, consequence of you writing this book is focusing what I wish way more of our attention was because our fundamental understanding of human nature has so much to do with an understanding of who the devil is, who the angels are, their place relation to God. And uh, I wanted to make sure, among all the other things we talked about, just right out of the gate, one of the unexpected pleasures of this is that what you learn about human nature in general before you get to the the darkness Mm -hmm. of this story there's so much to unpack just based on the two books that you've written about who we are relative to the devil. Especially since the devil himself and his primary demon, fallen angels, both are telling you this story. Did am I right in that I don't think that you you intended in any way to be doing that, but it was kind of unavoidable, and there you were. Is is the fact that I'm reacting the way I am to what uh, what one of the fundamental things I enjoyed about that? Is that surprising to you? No, I I thought,
1: I, I thought that in the culture we live in today, we are much more comfortable fearing the darkness than seeking the light. There is a, there's sort of a, there's a, there's a, there's a duality, I think, in in American culture today. We're on one hand when, when an athlete, like I I think it was Shaq Barrett for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after they beat your Packers in the NFC championship game. And he's getting interviewed on the field. And the first thing he says is, you know, first and foremost, man, I want to thank my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't even be here without him. Right. And it's, it's cringy to a lot of people. Awkward, weird. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, but then at the same time, one of the leading content forms has been things of apocalypse uh, that are apocalyptic in nature for going on over a decade. How many movies? How many TV shows? How many zombie apocalypses have we had? How many vampire apocalypses have we had? Right? Uh, how many environmental apocalypses? Now it's, now there's a viral apocalypse. We seem to be obsessed with exis- things of existential import. When, when they are conditioning us to fear the darkness. But when somebody brings up something of existential nature in a bright light, we kind of cringe or shriek at it. And um, I thought that that gave me freedom to say things to an audience that if I just objectively um, presented them on the side of light would not be received. But if I fed into sort of the current cultural inclination to play Icarus, but not see how close we can get to the sun, see how close we can get to the dark. If I did that, that it might find a more receptive audience. And
2: I I think our acceptance of the devil as a reality, as Christians, is every bit as fundamental as what you always talk about with if you're a Christian. Like, because he rose from the tomb. You know, the, you can't right. Oprah this thing. You have got to acknowledge this. I don't know, within, at a baptism, at a Catholic church, the first thing, do you reject Satan?
1: And all of his works. And
2: all of his works. Right. Yeah. I don't think that can be stressed enough. I'm, I'm
1: glad you brought up the fact part about the, the resurrection occurring. Because I got asked about this and I'm kind of surprised that no one has asked, one guy asked me this question and this is the second time we've gone through a nefarious plot since it was published five years ago. One person has asked me this question. And it is the, early, in the, an, early in a nefarious plot, Lord Nefarious references the resurrection of the carpenter. But remember, do you remember what he says? What he says is... We neither our, our policy is to Confirming. neither confirm yeah. or deny down here, and that it is never referenced ever again. It's just memory hold, it's like it doesn't it didn't occur, right? In the world of of the interaction that you'll read in a nefarious carol, it's never even contemplated whether that event took place. And so, one gentleman asked me a question, and this is kind of a, I guess, a merger of epistemology and eschatology. When he asked me. Did you do that on purpose? How come there's how come that the enemy doesn't spend time in either of these books, undermining the credibility of the resurrection? One of the things you see in, even though they're they're totally different in style and presentation, one is a nonfiction. Novel. The other is a fiction novella, right? One is about written, written in hand by a demon general from hell. The other one are, you are listening in, you know, as the third wheel to it. You're like eavesdropping on a conversation between the devil himself and a, an a, and a unsuspecting cornered young woman. All right? But the approach that they both take is the same beyond just the premise of the approach. And that is to appeal to our vanities, our insecurities, and our emotions. And to to appeal to the, to play in the subjective arena. Hell thinks they're the home team when we're playing at subjectivism stadium. When we get into objectivism, then you, run into, then you run into problems where even a, a virulent atheist like an Ayn Rand who thought we were all kooks and, and nutters for believing in the resurrection, even she recognized that there needed to be some form of, a, so she started her own philosophy, objectivism. That's really what it was. That there were just, we have no idea where they came from or why they're here, but there's clearly some objective revelations in nature about how the cosmos works. And we have to acknowledge these things. Hell doesn't like that whether it comes from an atheist like Ayn Rand or it comes from Billy Graham in a sermon, anything that points us to objective reality risks pointing us to the author of that reality. Because God lives in the world of objective truth. That's, that's the world where he lives. And so if they, had, and it, by, it, go back to what we said last hour my lament about how we never have a counter narrative we're just countering theirs all the time right in conservative and left-wing media if if all the um, every amount of time either Lord nefarious in a nefarious plot or Satan himself in a nefarious carol all the time that he spent he either one of those entities spend debunking the resurrection which premise is is being asserted a subjective or an objective one an objective one because the only way that you can the only way you can defeat an objective truth claim is with a what? With a better or superior objective truth claim, right? All right. They don't want to play at objectivism stadium. Hell doesn't want to go play there. They want to play their games at subjectivism field. That's their that's their home field. They want to stay there. And so what you see nefarious do with us, and what you see the devil, what, we, what you'll see the devil do with Ray is when confronted with the reality of objective truth, is to get us to reject it on the grounds that accepting it is a price we're not willing to pay the consequences for. That if this is true, therefore I must blank. We don't want to do that. And, and look at what you see rampant in American culture today. The acceptance of truth on the basis of whether I accept the consequences of something being true. Not on the basis of whether it's true or not. I see it in every arena. I see it when I delve into the sports arena. Well, my team's just going to be good because they're my favorite team. Well, that, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, hey, I, but they might suck. I, I know that's disappointing that you went through an entire eight-month offseason with, with no hope for your team, and then when they played, they showed you you should have no hope, but is it true? Right. It's true. In America today, in American culture, things are true on the basis of whether we are willing to accept the consequences for that being true, not on its objective claim to truth. That is pure unvarnished 100 proof brother right out of the distillery no chaser subjectivism it doesn't get any more subjective than that and that's why there there's that's why there's no time spent on trying to i mean go look at the claims have you guys ever actually studied what people who question the veracity of the resurrection taking place have you ever seen what their counterclaims are uh, a mass hallucination. Everybody just hallucinated it. I mean, their claims are ridiculous. Okay, Roman soldiers risked their lives by lying that this guy was dead on the cross. They'd all been executed if they were wrong. I mean, all, the the claims that you the, the claims against whether the resurrection happened are far more ridiculous to consider objectively than just the fact the resurrection occurred. And so, instead, when you run into people that don't believe in the Messiah, they won't argue with you on the grounds there was no resurrection. How many times have, you been, how many times have either one of you been argued or debated somebody on the grounds of resurrection didn't take place? Instead, you're, you're told things like, well, he was just a good moral teacher. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because, again, it comes down to what are the consequences of me believing this? For example, in the first century, the entire argument about whether Jesus rose from the grave or not was an exclusively Jewish one. And I mean if you and you risked being banished from the tribe. This is not our Messiah, not our Messiah. I mean this split homes, families, communities. It was a very divisive topic. Because both sides of the argument understood that really what we're debating here we're not debating this isn't the Sadducees and the Pharisees debating nuances of the Torah or the or the 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 rabbinical traditions that had spurred up in the years after the 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 diaspora we're debating an objective truth because if Yeshua of Nazareth walked out of a tomb he's the Messiah and the consequences of believing that are high that's a high cost to pay now it's more of a Gentile argument in our time but it's still a very high high cost to pay and most people don't want to pay it. And so they just reject it and come up with an alternative reality, not on the basis they don't think the evidence for the resurrection is true, but because they don't even want to consider the evidence because of the cost of what the what it being true, if it is, turns out to be. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah.
2: The We, we talked about it, and you mentioned it even just within the last couple of weeks. When, when I was initially walking through your writing, the original uh, book that I, the concern was, are you going to be able to carry this through to give it the weight it needs? Is it going to be campy in any way? And you obviously succeeded, but you had a demon general. There's very little scripturally to go on about a specific, like a, right. a Gabriel, right? So you could you could Hollywood it to some extent, correct? On the other hand, when you're dealing with the devil himself, yeah. you have the garden, you have the book of Job, you mm-hmm. have the beginning of the gospels. There's How much were you conscious now? Have you and then, But then you've got your great movies, you have Milton, you have Pacino, that stuff in your head is yeah, pop culture. Yeah, the devil's advocate, yes. How much... More there's a couple focused. There's, a, there's a
1: nod to Pacino's De- devil's advocate in the book, by the way, an Easter egg for that. So how much yeah.
2: more focused and careful did you have to be? Now we're talking about the devil. You 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 really have something you, you're anchored in. way yeah, There's more not ways as much creative license to a reality. Agreed. How much yeah. did you have to deal with that? The way you get, the way
1: you get around that is he's not this isn't a polemic. This isn't his treatise, right? This isn't, uh, he's not, he's not written a manifesto here. This is a conversation. This entire book is a conversation between her and him, between Ray. And I know it's even spelled like the Star Wars Ray, R-A-E. But actually, if you read the book, it's dedicated to my mom and my grandmother uh, as the first two people to ever show me unconditional love in this world both their middle names were Ray raE and that is a tradition on my mom's side of the family for the women to have that as a middle name I don't know its origin or where it came from I just knew it was a tradition and so I gave the female character that name to honor them but the way you get around that is you just make the converse you make the book a conversation because you're right we I don't have the creative license uh, to write with a certain amount of a flair or panache that you could with uh, with Lord nefarious
2: You know, we you and I had an interesting conversation in Dallas with some other people about it was sort of an honor among thieves conversation about uh, male female relationships as they're understood, even in a seedy underbelly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that comes out in the tension in this story. I mean, did you know in a C.S. Lewis Epiphany, when he had, I saw a, well, not a, what, it's not a dwarf in the, with the umbrella, Mr. Tumnus, who is he? Mm-hmm. um The whole, what's it, what, a, a, fawn. Minute, a fawn, excuse Thank me. Thank you. Yeah. His whole, he had that image in the shower or something like that. And there you have the Narnia Chronicles going from there. Mm-hmm. Did you, how much did you toss with a different. Mode, was it a devil and a guy at any point? Was it always this? It was always a woman. And B, was it because of... There's something... This is my point about transgenders. There's something Mm -hmm. so fundamental that we were created male and female good. Now, an angel is not... The devil is not male in a way you and I are male, right? But how that is carried out is just the entire soundtrack of this book is that male female tension. Yes,
1: on purpose. Um, I mean, the first book, I, the the dedication of that book of a nefarious plot came to me in a shower in Washington D.C., and from that mustard seed, the whole rest of the book. For this one, I got up at five a.m. one day last April in the depths of lockdowns, I was not even considering, I was not even considering doing ever doing a sequel. We'd never talked about it, never discussed it. It wasn't even on my radar. In fact, I talked with my book agent about doing um, something of a of an, from an explicit biblical worldview standpoint for a book instead of a uh, another political book. And I got up one day in April, five AM, and I had this entire thing. I just with this entire the the names of the chapters, that it would be in a novella form, that it would be like the first one was a was a send, was a takeoff of an of a screw tape letters that this would be a takeoff of a Christmas carol. Um that I just I just woke up with that entire framework already settled. You know, I, I had an outline and everything done and sent to my agent by five thirty that morning within thirty minutes and stuck to that all the way through uh, the, the writing of the book. When I look back on it now, I think the reason why the character was always a woman is because of what you observed. But I didn't, I didn't note that. I didn't see that going in. I, when I had the inspiration for it, I, it made sense to me when it was over that ultimately, the first thing after God hands over creation to humanity, the, the first thing he blesses is what? What? is a union between a man and a woman, right? That that is the the word that Moses uses. When Moses writes in Genesis, and he created them, male and female, in his image, he created them. When Moses writes that word, um, and and then says, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two will become one. The word that one, that Moses uses there, is the same word that is used later in Genesis, a, the sacred uh, Jewish Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one." It's the same word. That's the level. That's the level of sacredness of this, of these, of the distinctions between the two, and then the bond of bringing them. Of what happens when you the bring relationship, them together? Yes. yes, that relationship. Yes, and ultimately, when I finished the book, I saw afterwards the reason why I was inspired to write it in this form is because the devil try, everything the devil tries to do is a counterfeit of what God has already done or what God will do. And that ultimately, that's what this is. This entire dalliance between him and Ray is not just, it's, I saw right away that the desired result to produce an antichrist, that's a counterfeit, right? An antichrist is a counterfeit to Christ, right? But it goes to another level. The, the, the wooing of her the fact that he cannot deceive her, if he does, if he, if he deceives her, if he imposes on her or violates her, then the ritual will not be successful. That she has to freely give herself to him. Just like a, our wives had to freely give themselves to us, right? Mm-hmm. She has to freely do this for this to produce the result that the enemy wants. It's not just that the fruit of that relationship is a counterfeit, but the relationship itself is. The entire conversation they have is all a counterfeit. All of it is. All of it is. And that ultimately, I've often wondered, you know, there's, it's been debated, what does 666 mean? You know, depending on what numerology circles you run in, Nero is 666. His name is Ronald Wilson Reagan. And actually, it turns out to be six. Uh, I mean, who knows what it means? There's a lot of discussion about that. I've often theorized that I think it is the notion of an infinite counterfeit because God's number of holy completion is what? Seven. And that 6,66 six, 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 signifies you can just, how many sixes can you throw on something? Double down, triple down, quadruple down, quintuple down, right? On, on a counterfeit. But it's still what? It's not, still a counterfeit. It's not seven. It's still not seven. Yeah. And that's what this book is. This book, you know, if if we could summarize it, it's still not seven. Mm-hmm. That that's, that's really what it is.
2: One last thing. I think emotionally for most people, even though this is what temporarily, this in time comes after nefarious plot, I think for most people, though, this is the book that they should start with because it's so personal. I think a lot of other people that you have to bring more to the table I think to get the most out of your first book. Mm -hmm. Everybody has lived this story on some level yes a brokenness yes. I have nowhere to go I mean not not totally to that I've extent I sin too much yes I, exactly. no one would forgive
1: me no one would love me so, yeah. I've made too many mistakes I, I, I need a reboot but the, the cost of I can't possibly ask this of God because he couldn't possibly overlook the things I've done right right that whatever paths we've all taken to end up in that place every single one of us has been in that place to some degree, right? But just different paths of destructive decisions to end up there, but the destination remains the same. And so if you really
2: tap into this one, I I think then stuff that seems like you're evaluating from too high a cloud or perch will now also seem personal in nefarious plot. <laughs> um, have you got any reaction? I've had like a lot that? of people think...
1: ask me do I have to read a nefarious plot the... before I read this one and no not you don't. Know. Not no, you only know. no but that, that... I think it might be more important you do it in reverse. And I think that could be argued. There are direct references to a nefarious plot but it's not it, it doesn't pick it, it picks up where the story left off but it is its own yes. singular story because the plot was to set the stage for this you know what i'm saying that that this was this is now this is now it's now now that nefarious has been success plot has been successful this is now the enemy's time this is the end game this is the end game we're in the end game now yeah he is he's out here now and out in the open and he's going for the sale close in fact that's the name of the last chapter of the book the book has five chapters. The offer, the past, the present, the future, and the close is the final chapter. That now the end, and, and that has, you know, layers of meaning too. It's not just that he's going to, he. this is now his attempt to close Ray, uh, the sale with her, but to close us out. And not even just us um, as, a, as a country, like us as a species, mm-hmm. to close us out. That's what it means.
2: That's a great read. It's... Uh... You get more and more. I've read it multiple times, and it changes for me. Whereas, this, I get the same sick feeling from nefarious plot. Mm-hmm. I've gotten different modes of learning and feeling with each reading
1: of this book. That's that's a great compliment, man. I appreciate that. We'll come back. Congressman Chip Roy from the great, well, formerly great state of Texas, based on what I saw last week, he will be joining us here next. Are you prepared if there is a sudden food shortage? Hey, man, don't laugh. A year ago at this time, I could have come on here and said, are you prepared, Beavis, for the day there will no longer be TP for your bunghole? Are you prepared for the toilet paper shortage? Y'all would have snickered and said, that's nuts. Remember when that happened? I do. Yeah. Remember, I don't know where y'all go to your Costco's, where y'all live, but here in Iowa, you still can't buy more than one thing of toilet paper at the Costco almost a year later. Okay. So next time, dude, that's essential. Next time, it might be extra essential. It might be food and water. So make sure you're ready to go. You're not at the mercy of panic buying, emptying out store shelves like we saw too often last year. With our friends at My Patriot Supply, get their emergency food that stays fresh for up to 25 years. So you never have to go hungry, stand in any kind of food line, 2,000 calories a day. Oh, and if you're concerned about getting labeled, you know, a kook by your neighbors, um, they will deliver it uh, discreetly at your house in as little as two days. Save 20% off right now when you go to preparewithdace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E, preparewithdace.com. Heck, forget, you know, uh, anything, um, uh, you know, like a a, a COVID-28, how about most of our state today is in a blizzard warning right yeah i mean i mean if it's a na- any kind of a na- heaven forbid a nat a, a natural disaster you're prepared for that as well prepare with again that's prepare with com. save 20% off right now our old friend congressman chip roy from the state of texas joins us next year on blaze tv radio and podcast good to see you brother how are you
0: i'm doing great uh great to see you as always my friend and uh you know interesting times
1: they are Uh, i have a question for you why are we not giving every american 1.4 million dollars
0: I don't know why we aren't giving every single American ten million dollars or twenty million dollars, right? I mean, this is the thing. We um, we keep uh, upping the ante, trying to say that we're going to, you know, fix everybody's uh, life basically as a result of the you know coronavirus panic, and we're spending money we don't have. You know, you you know that, and I know that. I went to the floor of the House of Representatives yesterday and I challenged Democrats for about three minutes saying, you know, what are we even doing? Right. I mean, we're moving a sham budget resolution, budget reconciliation measures so that they can jam through a two trillion dollar bill. We spent four trillion last year. There's one point three trillion of that left to do what I'm not even sure at this point. And the main thing we need, as you know, and I know, is to stop shutting businesses down. Don't go fund the very local government tyrants that are shutting down the businesses in the first place. Stop, you know, Having people you know be nanny stated around, having to wear a mask every time they go into a store and uh, you know then come back and say now we got to go write a big check because somehow our economy's not doing well. The fact is, we're actually moving in the right direction economically, except for all the nonsense Biden's about to do to shut down energy, shut down fracking, shut down jobs in America because they're chasing all sort of green New Deal nonsense.
1: One of the frustrations I have, though, I mean, one, if we can just print money off, then I don't know why we just don't give people life-changing amounts of money if there's no downside to it, right? That was the premise of the question I just asked you. But one of the frustrations I have, and I've, I've seen this from some of your Republican colleagues on Twitter, uh, things like, you know, the best stimulus check is a job. Well, talking, listen, 1993 called and wants its talking point back. Yeah, I agree with that when we can have jobs. What do you say to all the businesses and restaurants and everything else? I mean, New York City, uh, 25% uh, capacity. I'm, I would lose money as a restaurant owner in New York City opening up with that. I'm I'm better off staying closed and taking more loans, right? So to me, it, it, it. we can't have it both ways. You can't say the best stimulus check is a job when these governors and these states are telling you that you can't open up your business. So there's got to be recourse for that too, Chip.
0: You know, look, I, I don't disagree at all. Obviously, you know, and I, you and I are on the same page on this. This is one of my eternal frustrations with the Republicans right now. And look, going back to last year, last summer, last spring right I, I wrote a piece in on, on march i can't remember the exact date maybe 15th or so in the uh national review saying we need a date certain to be open and fully functional right now right because we had just shut down for a week or two the president had said and given in basically i think against his better judgment to shut down for a couple of weeks okay fine you're shutting down for a couple of weeks in order to go make sure our hospitals are up to up to snuff But what happens, we end up having a situation where now we had that two weeks turn into perpetuity. You and I both knew that was highly likely to occur. And so this is the product of failure across our, frankly, entire Republican party to stand up last year and say no to this nonsense. That's the thing. Like Our job is to stay and say no to those things. Don't let governors and local mayors shut down small businesses. I campaigned on that, Steve. In a tight district, when Wendy Davis spent $16 million against me, and I did fine, I won by seven percentage points. I won by 30,000 votes, standing up for small businesses, telling Governor Abbott that I thought he was wrong, even though I support the governor on some things, wrong to shut down so many of our small businesses, wineries, distilleries, breweries, all throughout the district, small um, music venues that are the heart of Central Texas and Austin. All of these restaurants that are shutting down. But yet we're allowing these great big major corporations, Google and all of the high tech companies, minting money, screwing us on free speech. Right. Where are we as a Republican Party on standing up and fighting these things?
1: Well, you mentioned Google. Let's go there next. I read the piece you wrote a few days ago over at The Federalist about big tech censorship. Just kind of summarize it for our audience, if you don't mind.
0: Well, look, I mean, the, the most important thing we got to remember about the current situation is we have these massive corporations. OK, and I think we're having some real conversations about antitrust. I just was uh, added to the House Judiciary Committee. My friend Ken Buck, my friend Ken Buck, Uh, is the chair of the subcommittee on antitrust. And, um, you know, we're looking at the size of Google, the size of Facebook, the size of Twitter, more importantly, their power. What are they doing and how are they using that power? Um, Obviously we're looking into section 230. Look, what's happening, let's take for example, I don't know, did you follow ever Elgato Malo on Twitter? Yeah. He was one of the great guys out there talking about the nonsense with COVID, all of the back and forth that we're looking at in COVID data. Suddenly about a month ago, he gets punted off of Twitter never been told why, never been told what the deal was. I've been out there talking to him, trying to figure out what we can do to maybe help give him a channel to promote. He's out on Gab or some other place. Like This is the power of Twitter, the power of Facebook to shape what we hear and what we see. That's wrong. Now, I don't know that we need a wholesale toss out of 230, section 230, because if we do that, you know, Parler has said, hey, if you get rid of 230, we can't exist. So we, we've got to figure out how to retain the portion of that that allows competition. We need to not allow these guys to get liability protection under the second prong of 230. And we need to, I think, look at antitrust ways to blow up how these big corporations are, um, frankly, running over our freedoms. That's what's happening. We know it. The corporate boardrooms are running our country right now through social justice nonsense, and they're uh, literally telling us how to live, how high to jump, and people are doing it. Even now, going after my colleagues, people like Senator Cruz, Senator Hawley, my House colleagues who use their duty on the floor under speech and debate to object to the electors. Now I took a different position on that for my, my interpretation of the 12th Amendment, but that is straight up bravo Sierra to quote our friend Rush Limbaugh. It is nonsense, absolute nonsense to go to say, we're going to target them, say, well, we're not going to give you contributions. We're not going to even like work with you. We've got house Democrats and we're not going to work with anybody who objected, but this is the power of big corporate America. And it's time for that to end. The corporate cronyous culture between Washington, New York and the rest of Silicon Valley and around the country has got to end.
1: How much of your caucus recognizes that? Do you think?
0: I think an increasing number. I mean, obviously my, my, my brothers and sisters on the Freedom Caucus, uh, understand that this is a pressing matter. Uh, I think there are people obviously like Senator Hawley who've been out there outspoken. I still don't know that it's a majority of Republicans who understand the cultural war that we're in, that understand that it is the nexus, it's the Acela Corridor, the Washington DC to New York City. Now, of course, across the country, the Silicon Valley uh, proxy, um, You know that that is the war, that that, that that those people are trying to tell us how to live our lives and that the pushback from Americans, Trump supporting Americans, and God bless them, the people that are out there, the forgotten men and women that the president represented in the White House. Those people are saying enough. And look, that is a lot to what the frustration that occurred on January 6th was about, right? Again, I have been public in some of my concerns about the way that unfolded with the electors, okay? We can have those debates, but we're past that we gotta talk about why did the people who supported the president, they're getting their lives rolled over by tyrants. I'm sitting in the Capitol right now with a fence around. I couldn't get out last night, Steve. I, we had our whole thing last night with my Liz. and We had a four hour meeting. Hey, did
1: you check on your colleague, uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez? Is she OK?
0: Well, she apparently thinks I'm a sexual abuser. Uh, right? Because I stood up and defended Ted Cruz as politely as I could, by the way. I thought I said she should just apologize. Suddenly she lumps me in and says, I'm a sexual abuser, the equivalent of. And so I'm trying to leave the Capitol last night. I couldn't leave. I tried to go out one way, hit a fence. They let me out one entrance, and then I got in, locked into another round, couldn't get through the second barrier of razor-wired fencing. I couldn't get in this morning without waiting 30 minutes. And now I'm going to have to go get through a magnetometer in a minute to go vote on some nonsense bill. I'm looking up the TV or resolution that, of course, I'm going to vote no on because it's some ridiculous thing Democrats are doing. This is our state of our freedom. The capital of the United States, the people's house. I, as a member of Congress, can barely get in and out of it. It's embarrassing.
1: When does Operation Enduring Biden end?
0: Uh, what the, how do you mean by that? I mean, what, what, you, what you, you just wait, described. How, That's what you just yeah.
1: described, right? The occupation of D.C. and Operation Enduring Biden. When does that end? Right.
0: Yeah, well, uh, you know, I've got a a measure I'm working on right now with my staff and try to raise the temperature on needing to pull this stuff down. I mean, really, truly, let's tear down these walls, Mr. Biden, Ms. Pelosi. (laughs) Um, You know, we've got to do that for the American people, right? This is the symbol of, of, you know, our country and democracy. And it's the people's house. It's the Senate. And uh, we do not need to have uh, fences with razor wires around it. Uh, More importantly, we need to be taking the fight to what president... President Biden, look, he's been around D.C. for a long time. He's got an administration chock full of government loving experts. Okay, Uh, you know, the Trump administration, they said we don't need to fill a lot of these jobs. You know what? I agree. We don't want these bureaucrats and jobs. But guess what? When you fill them with people who know how to do stuff, well, they're doing it. And that's what we're seeing right now with an activated Democratic administration, 28 executive orders. They're going through all of these agencies. They are about to attack us. They're doing it on the border. We got 3,500 3, people a day being apprehended at our border right now, Steve, 100,000 a month. That's what we're looking at. And they're about to end, return to Mexico, return, re- end the uh, Title 42 protections. And we're going to have massive catch and release. DHS is mm-hmm. going to be a catch and release release organization at our border. And that's what the Biden administration is doing. They're about to go after healthcare. They're going after obviously fracking and jobs. And we're going to have to fight them at every turn and make this into and look, I'm actually optimistic, Steve, in this way. The Trump administration and the greatness of its four years on all the levels you and I would agree with and 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 you know judges and Israel and jobs and freedom and you know Second Amendment and and uh, you know the fracking and border security they laid the foundation for what we need to do in 2022 and 2024. Now, you know, in the past, we've always talked about this. And it's like, oh, the promise of the next election. The difference this time is we have the roadmap built on a foundation of an administration that fought for the forgotten men and women of America. We've got to go back to doing that.
1: Chip, good to see you, brother. Take care. God bless. All right.
0: Thanks, Steve. Talk to you soon.
1: You bet. Gentlemen, your thoughts. Uh, I think I've said it about
2: him before thank goodness he's there Uh, he's the exact kind of dude we need to be the uh, right now he'll he'll disagree with his friends um he's not part of any cult he knows exactly who he's supposed to serve both in terms of the constitution the rule of law and the specific people who voted for them there in texas i mean he just won't be distracted by the nonsense that's what i love about him
3: Yeah, I mean, in this climate at this time, there's essentially gridlock or close to it in Washington, um, outside of the outside of the executive order uh, state, if you want to say that. Uh, So I think the best thing that you could hope for from somebody representing you is to just be a thorn, not on the Democrat side, but in the opposition side. And I draw that distinction um, on purpose. Um, So, And I I think that's what people uh, like Chip, and there are very few uh, in Washington like him uh, do on a day-to-day basis. But going back to just the ridiculous nature that this, let's just be honest, show of force was a few weeks ago for the inauguration, having those thousands of National Guardsmen, and and the fact that they're still there and the, the fencing is still there, while we, have the, while we have the GOP leader in the Senate uh, sending off hopping mad tweets about what's going on in Burma, guys, that's, we talked about it yesterday. That's just an encapsulation of, of, uh, and an illustration of the fact that we don't have more people in Washington who just don't give a rat's petunia what others think about them. And until that changes, it's still going to be the swamp. It's still going to be full.
1: What they're doing, in my view, uh, is they are creating a new permanent narrative, right? So I I read a study yesterday that in the last, so 2016, 18, 20, all right, so the last three election cycles, Democrats have gained, on average, three and a half points of white voter support. And Republicans have gained, on average, three and a half points of non-white voter support. Which demonstrates some evidence, at the very least, that Trump was able to successfully penetrate, uh, maybe it's the outer rim of the Democratic Party's stranglehold, chokehold on minority voters, but at the very least he pierced, the needle pierced the skin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Doesn't mean that, you know, it, 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 something there happened, which makes it more difficult for I mean, the fact that they're just labeling everything racist now, a lot of Americans are just even laughing at. So, we spent 25, 30 years, we're all racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic bigots, right? Okay. That feels like that script is kind of played itself out. So, the new script is, you're all QAnon white nationalist insurrectionists, and one way that you perpetuate that narrative is you just leave the you know you you produce the narrative the visual narrative every day that Washington D.C. must be protected against its own citizens. You know what I'm trying to say? Of course. That that to me, I think that's what's going on here. That this is just nothing about nothing more than this is the new narrative. We're, we're we had to defend ourselves for decades, or at least. Uh, wrongly thought that we did, that we're not racists, we're not misogynists, we're not xenophobes, right? Okay. We're not homophobes, like the whole argument who had the first gay appointment with Rick, Rick, Rick Grinnell or Pete Buttigieg that dominated Twitter yesterday, okay? But that seems to be kind of phasing itself out now. And the new narrative is you're just all insurrectionists.
2: Well, something must always be locked down, something yep. must always be masked, yes. something yes.
1: must always be caged. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That'll do it for today's show. We're going to stick around with some overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, we will see you tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, John 317.
0: This is Steve Dace.
1: On the Blaze Radio Network.